Hey folks, I'm Bo Cordell, and welcome to this episode of Inside the Control Room. Today we are with Owen Seaton of Churchill Downs. Welcome Inside the Control Room with your host, Bo Cordell. Hey folks, I got to work with Owen uh, several times back in his days at uh, University of Tennessee Chattanooga, and we spent a... Um, a month or so in Russia together uh, at the Olympics a couple years ago. So, Owen, tell us about your role with Churchill Downs. Well, I work for Van Wagner Sports Entertainment Productions, and we are a contractor at Churchill, and we are the production arm for them and run their video board and uh, produce content for that board year-round, as well as, obviously, Derby Week, which is a big, big deal here in Louisville. But... um, most people don't know Churchill Downs races 70 dates a year, so it's quite a bit more than just the Derby. And that's split into um, two months in the spring and parts of two months in the fall, as well as uh, Derby week. 70 dates a year. So what are your responsibilities on the average race day? Well, um, racing, most days racing starts at about noon. The first race is uh, usually about 1245, um, but the programming starts at noon. And uh, Depending on the day of the week, we have either eight to ten races, and usually last race goes at about 5.45, 6 o'clock. So racing is very different from any other sporting event um, that there is because horses are scared pretty easily. So it really limits when you can do things with sound. Um, so our programming for the show revolves around where horses are on the property, on the track, or in the paddock. Um, in relation to the to the speakers, so we will have um, you know quite a bit, uh, 45 minutes or so of like a pre-game, uh, pre-race show that involves uh, there's like a studio-based handicapping show where the handicapper talks about all the races that day and who his picks are. Usually he has a guest and they talk through that. But then we'll have um, you know Churchill is kind of like I don't even know what you'd compare it to Wrigley Field, Lambeau Field, Yankee Stadium where on any given day, a good portion of the audience are tourists. Um, they're not from Louisville or they're not from Kentucky. And so we get a lot of people that, you know, it's, they come one time in their life and it's, it's like a bucket list. So we have, our programming is, is very split. We have programming for the hardcore horse race uh, gambling audience that wants to see certain things or they want to, you know, we have a lot of data feeds around the odds and things that are up all the time. Um, but we'll also have things that are geared more toward an advanced audience. But then we need to also understand we have a lot of tourists or a lot of horse enthusiasts that may not be race fans, but love horses. And so we have a lot of, you know, feature type things that are, um, you know, uh, beauty roles or scenic things of Churchill or features that explain something about Churchill Downs that someone who's been there frequently might know, but someone who's there for the first time would not know. And so it's really a balance uh, of trying to strike the right balance of uh, a a tourist audience versus a hardcore uh, handicapping audience. And so, you know, it's 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 never the same show two days in a row because you're kind of mixing all those things together. Um, so it's, it's different from any, any sporting event I've, or any sport that I've ever done in that you're not, you're not trying to make the crowd louder. You're not trying to build an atmosphere of you know, energy because 
the horses don't like that so much. Um, so it's it's really more of a, a entertainment slash informational show uh, and less of a um, hype the crowd show than what you would get at a football game or a basketball game. So you're set up there. You have a giant video board. We do. We at the time it was one of the biggest in the country. Of course, that every As every every install every year. Um, it's it's also unique in that it's almost 100 feet off the ground. Um, so it's at the back side of the track, which is over a thousand feet from the closest seats. Um, Churchill Downs, although the track is an oval, all the seating is on one side. Um, it extends into the turns a little bit, but all the seating faces the board. Um, but so in order to see the board, it's got to be a high enough that it's above the track and, and off the track enough that people can see it. So it's about 100 feet off the ground. It's 180 plus feet wide, about 90 or so feet tall. So it's a, it's a very big... It's one of the big, only 4K boards in the country. Is that right? We can push a 4K signal to it. Um, we, when it was originally built, we, did, we didn't have a control room. When, when it was built four years ago, um, 4K in the broadcast environment or the video board environment was so new, like there was literally only one 4K switcher on the market. Um, and you're tying up four inputs into the board for every one source because it's four 1080 images that are getting you know stitched together so um so what what we did to kind of work around that because at the time you know the terminal gear to support a full 4k show didn't really even exist um, was we built a spider output or spider input to the board that was basically just one big hole that we would push it we could push a 4k signal to um, and stitch those four together but um, but then everything else that actually ran through the switcher and not home run through the spider was 1080. Sure. And uh, and so now um, we built a control room. It's actually a side by side control room that you know horse racing has a, a big simulcast business that you know supports the the wagering side of the industry that goes to off track facilities. So we share all those camera resources in one router and then two different control rooms. Um, side by side. So now it's a, just a full 1080 show. Um, we, we still master a lot of feature stuff in 4K, but we don't, you know, we're not pushing live 4K. Sure, anymore. sure. So on a typical race day, you've got, there, there's an entire crew there for the simulcast. So you've right. got how many camera guys? What, what's, the, uh, what's the crewing setup for a, for a race day? There are um, 10 camera locations, but two of those, uh, four of those cameras share two operators. So if you've been to horse racing, or if you haven't, you might not know this, but the horses go to the paddock before the race and they kind of warm up. And that's where, you know, you can get an up close look at them, at the horses. And then they bring the saddles and all that out and saddle them up and the jockeys get on the horses at the paddock. And then they, that's on the back of the track. And then they walk them through a tunnel back onto the track. So there are two camera operators on the front side that leave and go to the cameras in the paddock during the paddock time and then sure. they walk back and man a camera on the other side. And you do a paddock show. There's a video board at the paddock area. Right. There's two video boards on that side. On the, uh, what, um, there's a plaza and a paddock next to each other that have video boards. But also the handicapper who did the show earlier I was talking about will come into the paddock and do you know a five minute kind of quick preview of the race. Talk about all the horses in the race, who the wagering favorites are, what you might look for. Um, so that is why you have those two operators on that side. So on the racetrack itself, there's eight cameras, um, some, some of which are up on, pole, up on 
in towers that are basically like, imagine a 55-gallon drum on top of a really tall ladder <laughs> yep. with a guy operating a camera inside of it. Yeah. That's pretty much what it is. I wouldn't want the job. It's a guy um, in a box of chicken and he's there all day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and so, and they're up there, rain, shine, hot, cold, whatever. It's, a, it's, not, it's not a glamorous job for sure. Um, and so they have, depending on, you know, if, if you think about any kind of oval racing, car racing or whatever, you know, if, if you're in the first turn uh, camera position, you're going to have the horses head on coming at you and then you'll follow them through the turn. And then you follow them all the way around the track, but there are really times that a director would take your shot versus, you know, when they're on the other side of the track, you're still going to follow them. And horse racing is really unique in that there are a lot of laws and regulations about what cameras have to be doing what at certain times really? because you have to basically ensure the integrity of the race. And so there are stewards, uh, which are basically like umpires or referees that watch every camera angle all the time to make sure that, you know, um, no jockey is, you know, fouling another horse, you know, puts his horse in front of another horse and makes him right. slow down or that, um, you know, all and the Do they actually do replays to, to get yeah, all this right? So, so if, if when you've done it that long, your eyes will tell you there was something a little weird there and then they'll go back and rewind it and look at it. And they have control of, they get every ISO into a, into a replay system okay. and they can rewind it and scrub through it and look for it. So... Um, so there's a couple ways that all can happen. After, as soon as a race ends, a rider can file an objection and say, like, this guy fouled me, and and then you know they'll look on it, look at it, and there's a there's a uh, ring down phone that you know they pick up and call, and it goes up to the stewards, and they'll talk, and he'll say, you know, yeah, this guy cut in front of me and made me slow down my horse right when he was making a run, or um, you know, at the gate, if you know, if a horse breaks funny out of the gate or a horse what you'll see a lot especially with younger horses is when a horse when they when the gate breaks one might veer over in front of the others um it's kind of like track and that you're supposed to give a certain amount of space before you you know cut over okay. and so or sometimes like gates will open, just come out of the gate and make a hard left right right yeah. or sometimes the the gate will open and a horse will just stand there yeah and not do anything and um, there are all kinds of laws, uh, actually statutes in the Kentucky law and in California, if it's California racing or whatever, that if a horse doesn't do that, he could be declared a non-starter, which affects wagering, you know, oh, okay. so you might be do, you might be do a refund on your wager. Um, so, so they have huh. to kind of keep an eye on all these things. And so there's a lot, I mean, the book is like, you know, three inches thick yeah. of all these rules and regulations. And these stewards know these things. And, and so they get ISOs of all these feeds and they can um, determine, you know, if something, you know, if, if something that you'll see, not a lot, but every now and then is two horses going neck and neck for the thing. And, and, or, you know, one's coming up about to pass and the jockeys have the little crop, it's like a little whip and they can, you know, hit a, if they, if, depending on which hand they hit it with, basically a horse is going to move opposite. If you hit it in the right, it's going to go left. And so if a horse is about to pass you on the left and you hit it with your right hand, you can mm -hmm. kind of make it. And, and the other guy has to go further or slow down right. to pass you. Well, that's against the rules. Sure. And so sure. If, it, if you do that and you, the other horse would have passed you, the stewards can say, well, you finished first, but this horse would have passed you. We're going to move you down to second, and he's going to win. Okay. 
um, it, you know, it happens twice a month. Gotcha. Yeah, so it's not real frequent, but right. you know, or um, you know, if there's an accident and the jockey comes off the horse or something, they'll look at it to find out, you know, what happened, why did it happen, was it because another rider rode a little recklessly and, and their horses, you know, clipped heels and, and he f stumbled and fell, yeah. or was it just, you know, the horse didn't want to cooperate that day? So there's yeah. a lot of stuff like that that. Four years ago, I knew nothing about. Right, <laughs> and you watch seventy days of racing for four years, you you pick up on this stuff. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and 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 the few events I got to work with you uh, a year or so ago, I was very intrigued by on the simulcast when you're leading up to a race. There's certain camera shots that the people betting on the horses want to see before right. the race. They want to see the horse walking dead on. They want to see... Yeah, so, um, you know, if you talk to 100 really hardcore gamblers, you get 100 different answers sure. about what they're looking for because um, everybody has kind of their things. But, um, I mean, mainly people want to see, you know, how a horse is behaving, if he's sluggish, if he's got way too much energy, um, if they break out in a sweat, like if you actually see lather, you know, that's probably not good. That probably means he's a little overamped. You know, um, horses will tell you a lot about how they're feeling by their ears, if you watch their ears. Okay. If their ears are forward, they're pretty happy. Um, just like a dog, if they're back, probably not a good thing. Um, especially when they're running. If you see a horse running with his ears forward, he's kind of in cruise control, and he's, you know, feeling pretty good, and he's probably got a little more in the tank yeah. still. Um, where when horses are running all out, their ears kind of go back a little bit because you're stressing. Their, um, so when you... When you're halfway through the race and your horse is out front, if his ears are all the way back, he's probably running 100% already. He's yeah. probably not going to get to the finish line in first. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there, and that's the one of the weird things that I had no idea about when I first started doing this. That, I mean, where, where a jockey's hands are when they're racing is kind of tells you a little bit about if they're holding them back a little bit or if they're letting them run. And you can... You know, not all the time, but a lot of times, two thirds to a you know halfway through the race, you can say that, you know these three horses have a chance to win. The yeah. rest of them got no shot. And you can you know if you could bet on a horse halfway through the right. race, you'd, <laughs> you'd have a lot better odds. Right. right. You know, because you once you know what you're looking for, you could kind of see, um, you know, why horses are in a position to win. You know. Yeah. yeah. So on a typical race day, you've got. The simulcast going on, and that's being broadcast all, all over the country. Goes out over satellite, yep. So then you're taking the simulcast feed and ISOs of all the cameras, right? and you're mixing that for the video board in venue itself. Right, and we have, we have a camera of our own that's just ours. Okay. And then we have playback, you know, and then we have a bunch of data sources that are run through a VizRT. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about the data, because you have, uh, is it a Trackus system, or, or we you have, have some sort of data integration yeah, on Yeah, so we horse. have a lot of data feeds, actually, so... There is what's called tote data, and tote data is the odds on the horse, um, the how many minutes it is until this race starts, minutes to post, they call it, um, you know, what race number it is. Um, and those, those come in actually over IP, but it's a signal that's generated locally at the track okay. that is run through, you know, if you think of it as like your cash register system or something, it's, yeah. it's you know connected to all the betting machines on the on on site. Okay, um, but it also tabulates all the betting that's happening on Churchill's races off site or in in those numbers. Sure. All right. So that's that's a normal race day. Right. You've got all these. You know, you've got simulcast and you've got you and you've got you know a couple of um you've got the paddock show. 
Tell us about Derby. So Derby, um, if you're not from Louisville or, or aren't real familiar with Derby, Derby Week is its own thing. So um, the Kentucky Derby is the first Saturday in May, and um, it's one race that most people know about, but it's actually, we have 14 races that day. So, um, and the first race starts about 10.30 in the morning. Last race ends about 8 o'clock at night. Uh, we have a significant pregame show of about two hours before that. Um, so it is a very long day in the control room. But what most people who aren't from this area don't know is there's the Kentucky Oaks the day before, which is the second biggest horse race in the state of Kentucky, um, which is for three-year-old female horses, where the Derby is for three-year-old male or female horses. Okay. Um, but it's also, um, in years past, Oaks Day was kind of when the local uh, folks would come and then they'd stay away Derby Day, maybe, or maybe go, depending on, uh, but it was kind of like local night. Um, you know, the largest crowd we've had in the four years I've been here is north of 180,000 for Derby and we'd get like 150 for Oaks. A little less than that this year because it rained all day, both days. But over time, Oaks and Derby became a huge, huge tourist thing and people bucket list thing that people would come in for. And, you know, I think it became if I'm going to spend that money and come in for one day, I'll do both. And so now we have a thing called Thurby that happens on Thursday that, <laughs> okay. has, that has really become locals night. Um, and it, it is a very local crowd. And we'll get 70 or 80,000 for that. Um, it's, it's a twilight card. It starts a little bit later. Um, and, and those three days are kind of Derby week, um, that, that most people think of when they think of Derby week, we actually open up a week before Derby, the Saturday night before Derby with night racing. Churchill has lights. Um, and we start at six o'clock and go till almost midnight on opening night. We're dark on Sunday we uh dark on monday race tuesday and wednesday with just regular old racing and then we have this thurby oaks and derby so by the time derby rolls around our crew has been we've we've been racing for a week um we bring in extra people van wagner my company brings in extra people before when we first got to churchill churchill was running everything out of a truck we would bring in a second truck for the Der for the big board show for derby week for starting with opening night and going through derby we bring in a whole second bench for the control room that includes Chiron, two EV, two um, six out EVSs or six and two out EVSs. Um, we bring in our own A1. Um, we bring in, you know, TD director uh, or um, extra an extra producer who's out. Uh, where they can see the track, where the control room, you can't see the track. So we have a producer up on the seventh floor who can see the track and, and cue. That way they can cue everything. Um, we bring in a DJ. We bring in, you know, it's a much more of an entertainment-based show. We have talent. We have two RF cameras um, that roam with our two two talents that we have. We, we put cameras on the infield to shoot back to the crowd for fan cams and those kind of things. Um, so we bring in an extra four cameras. Um, we also have an edit trailer that has three editors um, building, not only building content, because there's a lot of content we can't pre-produce for Derby because we don't know the post position draw, sure. who's starting, you know, at what position. We don't know 
for sure uh, what jockeys are riding, what horses. We know most of them. Um, horses can scratch and be replaced by other horses. There's features that we shoot on site the week of and, and are editing up until, you know, day of. And then our editors are also capturing all these ISOs live during the thing. And we make a big, like, rollout video at the end of the night that's kind of like a one shining moment type yep. thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and so we have a lot of pieces going on. And uh, Oaks and Derby are like almost 14 hour shows. They're very long days. And, and they'll be scripted you know, to the, to the second, you know, through, um, because we'll do live hits with the talent to show how to make a mint julep, or we might do, you know, a fashion thing with a designer to talk about women's fashion hats. or hats or, yeah, or we might do something with a retired jockey, you know, about who won the derby oh, that's cool. or something like that. We have a morning show, so we have a set, um, that we'll do two hours when doors first open the first couple hours where we'll kind of set the agenda for the day, talk about all the events that are happening all day. It's kind of like a, uh, almost like a Today Show type thing yeah. where we'll have some cocktail demonstration at the set or we'll have a, um, you know, someone from a, one of the charities that's involved because there are a lot of philanthropic things with the Derby. So okay. we'll have, uh, Oaks Day is all women's health. And so they'll do, they'll have, you know, someone from the women's health charity talk about, you know, the breast cancer screening that their donation pays for, all this kind of stuff. So so we'll have two hours of morning show programming, you know, before we get to the first race. And then, you know, the races go about every 30 minutes or so until we get into the window that NBC Sports is on the air. Yep. And then we slow down considerably. NBC Sports is on the air two and a half hours, and we'll have three races during that time. Okay. Um, so from the race before derby to the till the derby race is almost an hour um because there's all the pomp and circumstance right. that has to happen there's a color guard there's an anthem with a celebrity singer of some kind you know harry connick this year um you know we'll have the the rose garland the garland of roses will be paraded across the track they'll sing my old kentucky home so yeah. we have all these things that that have to happen that some of them were queuing some of them nbc is queuing um, depending on the yeah, time. Yeah, so what's your interaction and coordination with NBC during this? Because we're racing all week long, um, while we're doing that other racing, NBC's got production meetings that we're in. Um, we, there's scripting meetings that we have our producers in. Um, my role during Derby Week changes quite a bit from when, when it's every other day. When it's every other day, I'm producing, I'm writing the show, I'm also actually TDing the show um, during the week. Um, during a regular racing day on Derby week, um, I run the control room, manage the control room crew and actually run the VizRT stuff. Okay. Um, I sit on the immediate left of the director and kind of AD with the director, um, we'll have, uh, or with the TD, um, we'll have the director on the other side of him, but then our producers will be up on the seventh floor. They're the ones that are in all the script meetings and all that other stuff while we're doing the regular racing during that week. Gotcha. So they'll be in the NBC meetings. Um, talk through the things that, you know, there are certain things that they want to cue. They want to cue the anthem. Sure. They want to cue the color guard. They want to cue the My Old Kentucky Home because they have timing that they're going to want to hit. Um, we have to kind of cover their breaks because there's a lot of times where they're in a break where we take a bunch of ISO feeds from them, you know, that right. week as well. So because they have, you know, even they've got HDR cameras or they've got super slow-mo or they've got, you know, a blimp or they've got something really cool that we don't have on a regular basis. We want to add into our show. Sure. So we bring in four camera operators on top of the simulcast camera operators, two of them handheld RF, 
which we get our RF through BSI that week, which is, um, you know, Broadcast Systems International, I think. It puts up a giant mass that blankets, you know, all of Kentucky, basically. Um, all right, so, so let's talk about that RF. for a minute. Yeah. During, during Derby or any big event like this, but, but for you, during Derby, what, what kind of frequency coordination has to happen and who handles that? Uh, so basically, BSI runs all the frequency coordination, which is... Wireless um, microphones, everything? Yeah. Yes, because... Intercom, wireless mics, and cameras? Yeah, so there's, no, there's really no wireless intercom happening that week, um, except for the ones we get through BSI. Okay. Because we do, we do two RF cameras through BSI, and we break off PLs to the... Um, producers off of those okay um nbc gets all their freaks from bsi and so the only of the and that's everything above 5g okay everything you know that's in the license spectrum so everything below that is kind of not really coordinated all that well but okay. to be honest we don't care because it's not our not messing with our stuff right and really what you have below five is the local news guys and stuff sure and they have to be off the air during the nbc window so, they, uh, right, so their right, masks right. are down, all their stuff is out of the way. And so you might get a stray, you know, couple of guys with Motorola handhelds or some weird right. stuff like that. But um, it's, it's not enough to mess your gear. Um, so, um, so we bring in two RF camera ops and, we, and, and they have field producers and they have utilities. Um, we bring in two hard camera operators that are have 88 buys that are on top of the California boards, which the California boards are these really long uh, fixed digit tote boards in the infield that tell the odds. Um, and so they look like almost like baseball dugouts, but yep. they're a lot longer. And they, um, they're just on the inside of the track and they're, they've got hard roofs on them. And so we've got cameras up there, NBC's got cameras up there and they're shooting from inside the racetrack. So we use those to shoot back into the grandstands for a lot of you know, fan cams, a lot of those things, and then we'll shoot some racing, you know, when we're racing from a, from a reverse uh, with those. Um, we bring in a Chiron operator. Um, we bring in two EVS operators, one for replay and one for RO. Um, we have an A1 and an A2 that are just for us, where normally on any other race day, you know, we don't even mix our own uh, in-house show. It, we, we um, you know, the front of house mixer mixes it. Um, we have a DJ who's up on the seventh floor with our producer. Um, we have um, uh, actually a fifth camera operator, I forget. We have a make and break camera that shoots the morning show, but then we do some live hits from the red carpet. Um, so as the celebrities are coming in and stuff, we'll do live looks and live hits from the red carpet. So that camera op is there. Um, we will take uh, an audio mult feed from the red carpet. So we don't have our own talent there, but we have, uh, we have the audio uh, from that. Um, we have three editors in the edit trailer working. Um, we have, um, you know, um, our, we bring in our own TD that week. We bring in our own director. Um, you know, the, I, I run Viz, which normally I'm TDing during the week. Our playback guy, who's our playback op, regular during regular racing, is also there. Um, there's a social media component, which is usually a vendor, but we integrate with them for, like, you've maybe heard of Vixie or Postano or something. So it's like tweet to screen, 
post your Instagram photo or your Twitter photo with a certain hashtag and it can end up on the video board. So we'll integrate with that, run it through a scan converter, get it to the board. So we'll have that. Um, I'm sure I'm leaving something or somebody out, but that's, you know, that's yeah, it's, no it's a glimpse of kind of yeah. the scale versus a regular race day. All right. One more thing I want to mention about uh, Churchill and horse racing uh, before we ask you about uh, your previous life and about the other things you work on. I was really impressed last time I, I came up for a race with uh, Travis. Like, talk to us a little bit about the, the track announcer. Yeah, so our track announcer is a, a gentleman by the name of Travis Stone, um, who um, actually is in his second, just finished his second season, third season with us. And Travis is a really young guy for um, the business. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. I think he's 30. Yeah. I mean, which is really, really young. Yeah, for, he certainly I mean, appeared to be in his 30s. Yeah, so, I mean, he's a really, he's also wicked smart guy. He's He's got, like, a little kind of handicapping business that he does, too. He, he announces for Naira, the Naira tracks, which are the ones in New York when he's when Churchill isn't racing. Um, I'll give him a shout-out. Follow him at Travis Stone on Twitter. All right. Um, if, if you're into horse racing at all, be sure you follow him. He's a smart, smart guy. He's also a great dude, even though he's a Knicks fan. I love to give him a hard time <laughs> about that because he grew up in upstate New York. But um, So calling a horse race is like part Marv Albert and part like auctioneer. Yeah, so very much you have so. to talk real fast, but but be but you have to actually be intelligible. Like you a, have to know your stuff, like right. But I mean, at the same time, like an auctioneer, you might not understand half sure, of what they say. Sure, sure, sure. With a track announcer, you have to kind of speak that way, but people have to be able to understand you. the The thing I could never do is you have to have this really weird, super refined short term memory. Yeah, where you can learn all these horse names and um, things. But then as soon as the race is over, like forget it and learn 10 new horses. And if you looked, if you look at his like little play by play crib sheet, he has this whole little system where, you know, the jockeys wear the colorful shirts, they call them silks yep. and their hats are certain colors and things. And he will draw with uh, like Sharpies and highlighters, um, yeah. and highlighters, the colors next to each horse's name in the program in a certain way that represents the silks and the thing. But and he has this like clipboard that attaches, goes around his neck. And yeah, it's like a clothes hanger. Yeah. That, he, that he, yeah, that holds has that a clipboard up attached in to front him. of him, and then he wears like a necklace. And then he's watching the race through binoculars. But actually, if you stand next to him and watch him do it, he never looks down no. at the crib sheet. It's there, but he never. And and it's funny because on Derby and night racing and some big events, there are times I have to talk to him on IFB through his headset. And there are certain times he doesn't like to be disturbed because that's when he's like implanting all that in his short term right. memory, right? So he has, you know, on a regular race day, there's about 25 minutes in between races. So basically, after the race ends, he has some announcements to make in the winner circle, congratulating the winners and all that. And it takes two or three minutes. So by the time that's over, he's got about 18 minutes to like literally memorize these. 10 to 14 horse names that are all crazy names. They're not, you know. Well, and he uses about 15 of those 18 minutes right. to talk to whoever's in the room. 
Because yeah, he, he always has guests. Because yeah, everybody wants to see it. Right? Yeah, it, it seems like all the sales Idea. guys are bringing people in, and right. you know, hey, you, you sit in here for a race. Yeah, because I got to sit in and listen to him for so a couple. So he has races. these moments where he goes into like his fortress of solitude yes, yes. and and like <laughs> memorizes this stuff. And I don't know yeah. how he does it. And and all the guys that do that for a living, and that's why it's incredible. Um, they're they're really well paid, and they deserve to be because yeah. it's not. Um, like Travis was actually out for a couple of days, um, the last week of the meet, um, in the spring. Cause where do you find a replacement? Right. And, and, you know, so you're literally are trying to figure out, okay, which tracks are not running right now that their guy is available. Yeah. Cause it's not like play by play for basketball where you could swing a dead cat and hit 10 right. announcers. Right. Right. Um, so it's, it's very much a skill. And when he, when he got the job three years ago, there was this huge audition process and obviously Churchill down. So, I mean, yeah. kind of like being the play-by-play -play or the PA guy at Yankee Stadium. If you put it at an open call, like the, the line's going to be a mile long. Yeah, of course. Um, and, and it really goes to show you how talented Travis is that he got the gig. He's been fantastic. He's a wonderful ambassador for the sport, but also for, for Churchill and for Kentucky. And I think, uh, you know, I don't know that you'll ever get him to leave New York, but, uh, but he he certainly loves it here, and we we love having him. He's great. Um, so follow him on Twitter tra at Travis Stone. Good dude. All right. So before Churchill follow Downs, Bo on Twitter at Sailing Bow. At Sailing Bow. Um, Thanks for that. What's your Twitter, um, Owen? At Seton Ob, and my Twitter feed consists basically of uh, the Colorado Rockies uh, griping about Dan Snyder ruining the Redskins <laughs> and um, random tweeting when i'm watching live sports just commenting on whatever i see so your feed's always full of gems yes sometimes more than others all right so in your in all of your time as a producer tell me about a time when something went way better than you ever expected it would um so one of the things we debuted we introduced while we were down at chattanooga was a um sb award type award show yeah. for uh student athletes yeah um that is the scrappies uh, yeah so it's pretty popular i mean everybody's doing them now but yeah. at, at the time we started like it was fairly novel concept i mean we didn't invent it by any stretch but um so we had them at a uh at a um luxury hotel in town that you know in their banquet room and and it was just for student athletes like um very limited public, you know, some donors, some high level donors and stuff and coaches, invitees could come, but it wasn't really, it was for, it was for the student athletes and, um, and they got to vote on the, they were the only people that got to vote the on, on the stuff. Yeah. And so we had like player of the year, comeback of the year, you know, play of the year, That's cool. um, you know, like the super highlight of the year, you know, all those kind of categories that were, um, you know, coach of the year. We had like a behind the scenes person of the year that was like, you know, the assistant strength coach or the secretary for this sport or whatever that kind of stuff would get nominated for. Yeah. Um, and, and we would do this like, um, uh, survey monkey thing that would get sent out to the student athletes where only they could vote. And, uh, and so, and then we did like, did it like the Oscars, you know, with the envelope and, but we would have the student, we would have certain student athletes, the ones that were better on camera and better stuff do the presenting. Okay. So it was kind of very much like Oscars, you yeah. know, and then we had like the voice of God guy in the back that would be like, this is his first win. Yeah. You know, he was previously <laughs> nominated for, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And we, and we, 
we made all these crazy graphics to intro. We would intro the nominees and we would show their highlights and all that kind of stuff. And so, and we just made it into an awesome, fun thing. And um, our radio guy emceed it, which our radio guy, he's like, I just saw the other day, he's like the fifth longest standing radio guy in the country. Oh, wow. He's been doing, and he's not old. He started when he was like 20. Yeah. So and he's been doing it like 40 years. He's like 60. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and uh, so he emcees it. And, um, you know, and, and it's, you know, it's just a fun, fun night. So any favorite production memories that stand out that just make you really glad you're in the business? The first time Chattanooga made the playoffs in football, I mean, my second year there make it, doing the coaches show, we were 1-11. and And the 1 was against an NAI team. And the 11 was by an average of like 26. Oh, wow. We had one game out of that 11 that we had a chance to win. And we actually had the lead late and gave up a punt return for a touchdown like under a minute to go in a rain sideways rain at the Citadel Um, and had to make a coaches show out of that every week and uh, you know and everybody knew halfway through the year coach was not going to be back you know and so you know just absolute misery for everybody for me for all the production staff for obviously for the coach for the host you know all that stuff and you know and so we had a coaching change and we went from one eleven to six and five, and that year, like every, I mean, we were six and five, but you would have thought we were eleven and one from the way the fans were about all that. Wow. But you know, we were in the playoffs from three three years later, and hadn't made the playoffs since nineteen eighty four. Okay. Um, you know, and so that was just, you know, to be there for all of that and to get to see it pay off. And the kids that made the playoffs that year were freshman the year after the 11 the one and 11 year and so those that was the first like recruits that saw go all the way through you know and so i mean just that ride you yeah. know was i mean you you had a national championship you know i mean it wasn't a national championship but it felt like one right you know so um i mean just anytime you're you're get to be along for the ride on something that fun and that cool special yeah and you get to see not only that but i mean like you get to see what that means to the tennis coach to see all that happen and just see the way people feel about it. Right. Yeah. And, and so it's, you know, I mentioned kind of how small the department was and everybody knew everybody. I mean, f- for only place I've ever worked where like all the coaches liked each other and they all pulled for each other. And like, you would see the football coach in the stands at a wrestling match. Right. You That's know, cool. you know, yeah. I mean, you, that doesn't happen in most places. No. Um, you know, and so it was just a really cool thing to be a part of. Yeah. It's the only, it's the only ring I have and I have a a few, um, that actually mean something, you know, like I have memories with that ring. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So, yeah. All right. Owen Seaton, thank you very much for being on the show. Normally podcasts have been on the air a while before they get to the bottom of the barrel, (laughs) but evidently you can start at the bottom and work up. Maybe I'll be on a podcast with a budget one year and I'll get that folks. Don't count on it. Thanks for joining us on episode one of Inside the Control Room. If you want to take a look behind the scenes of the control room at Churchill Downs, be sure to go to our website, inthecr.com. Owen took us on a uh, tour, 
of the facilities there in the control room. You definitely want to check that out in the CR.com. Until next time, have a good show, everybody.